0: There's a line in the song Waymaker, you may remember this, we sang this a bunch during the pandemic um, and <laughs> our church, uh, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I can't feel it, you're working, you never stop, you never stop working, and that, that song was uh, in indicative of what we were feeling at the time during the pandemic. We weren't able to gather. I was preaching to a camera screen. You were at home in your pajamas. And uh, many things were happening at that time that I couldn't see how God is going to use this for his glory and his purposes. Um, And in the book of Esther we see god's silent hand at work the book of esther actually never mentions god never mentions the name of god never mentions god himself and and, and it's and i think it's on purpose as the author is trying to give us this idea that god is all over This story, yet he is still not mentioned. God's silent hand is at work, not only in the life of his people during the days of Esther, but in our life as well, as we walk in this sometimes confusing world that we live in. And at these times we will either trust the silent hand of god at work or we won't esther picks up the narrative writings in which first and second kings left off and the next three books esther daniel ezra nehemiah and first and second chronicles continue this narrative storyline of scriptures Remember, at the end of First and Second Kings, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is burned. They've broken down the walls of God's city where he has placed his name, where he has dwelt among his people in Jerusalem. They've placed this king of Judah in the line of David in chains. They've poked his eyes out and carried him into exile with God's people also into exile. The Babylonians are the ones who conquer Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, they bring him into exile. But there is the Medes and the Persians that come next that conquer the Babylonians. And so now God's people are in exile in Media and Persia. And that's where we pick up this story in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire during the time of King Ahasuerus. Some some of your translations say King Xerxes as the events of... Esther unfold. Most likely, I was reading. It was very interesting to me that most likely these events take place. Some say after Xerxes has tried to take over Greece. Remember the famous story of the three hundred Spartans as they hold their ground against the Persians in the pass of Thermopylae. And Xerxes, if this is the case, returns home to try and cheer himself up to tell how great his kingdom and how great he is so 180 days they proclaim how great Xerxes or Ahazahirus is and then they have a 7 day celebration a 7 day party if you will all all inclusive all you can eat all you can drink on the king That would make sense if they had just lost thousands upon thousands of soldiers to 300 men, right? So a massive party with lots of drinking all on the king. His wife is called Vashti, the queen at the time, and she's also throwing a party for the women. But on the seventh day of the continuous drinking, the king is out of control drunk and he calls the queen to show off her beauty to all of his army and all of his drunk men. Not a good look, however matter you slice it. And Xerxes, the pagan drunk hugsman, thinks that this is a good idea for the morale of his men. And she, rightly so, gives him the big N-O. Okay, so you pick up in, in, in chapter 1, verse 12... And this is what it says. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this time, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Panic begins to break out among the king's counselors. They say, what will happen to all the women across the empire when their husbands ask them to do something And they don't do it because they say the queen didn't do it. We don't need to do it either. Insubordination, they say, is going to happen across the empire. Verse 17, for the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. So they come up with this press release, right, that Vashti is never going to come before the king ever again, and he is going to give her position of queen to someone who is better. They try to make, uh, uh, they try to mitigate the damage done, and try to uh, provide this 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 edict into all the land telling everybody what has happened in their own way so now they have a problem because they don't have a queen so they have this idea to have this pageant to figure out who will be queen like the modern-day bachelor nothing new under the sun This was back in ancient times, a bachelor, where these young ladies vie for the love of one man, the king. So they round up and they take all these young women to get ready for their one night with the king to impress him and maybe be queen. It's kind of um, a wicked idea here. But now we're introduced to these two characters after we've been introduced to the king And to Vashti, who is no longer the queen, we're introduced to a man named Mordecai, who is a Jew. He is the people of God living in exile in Susa. Now, Susa is actually uh, in Iran today. It's called Shush. Shush, right? Be, Be quiet. But it is in Iran. And he is raising in exile... His niece, Hadassah, which means myrtle tree, and they changed her name to Esther, means star, but the root word here is to hide and conceal. So he's raising his niece, who who doesn't have parents, so she's an orphan, and they've hidden her name, concealed her identity as an Israelite. As the people of God living in Persia. And now she finds herself vying or in this competition to try to be queen of Persia. Now it's not unclear whether she entered the competition on her own or she was actually taken from her home. That's probably where I would land. She is actually taken because of her beauty and her age into the king's palace to Attempt to vie to be queen. Now she is very beautiful, and the caretaker over the women finds favor upon her. Much like God um, has Joseph in a foreign land and he, he has favor upon him, God now finds favor upon his new Joseph in a foreign land who is. Esther and she actually listens to the king's caretaker on what to bring into the king's palace for this pageant and the king loves her more than all the other women and this orphan Jewish girl who is hiding her identity becomes the queen of Persia. Uh, You know, God's God is, God's hand at work, God's silent hand at work to preserve, protect, and bring his salvation for his people. So Mordecai. Esther's uncle, is hanging out by the gates. I'm telling you this story so that we can get to our text, okay? So that's why I'm telling it to you in narrative format. But he hangs out at the gate to see how Esther is doing, and he overhears two of the guards uh, a plot to kill the king or to harm the king. Uh, Verse verse 21 of chapter 2, let's read it together. So don't think I'm just making this up. Verse 21, in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, big time, Tan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahazahuerus. They, they would become uh, angry with the king. He's, he's not a great dude, okay? So it's, it's, it's normal for people to be angry with this guy. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he came and to told Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be sold, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Mordecai saves the day. Queen Esther gives him credit to saving the day for the king, even though he's a wicked king. He saves the one in charge. Enter chapter three. Dun dun dun. We're introduced to the villain, Haman, the Agagite. Now, the Agagite's the sworn enemy of God's people. And during the Feast of Purim, the Jews, when they would celebrate this event of Esther saving God's people, they would gather and they would tell this story together. And they would say the name of Haman, and the children would hiss and boo. So let's do that together, okay? So Esther 3.1, let's read it. Here we go. Esther 3.1, and after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, there you go, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all officials who were with him, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Haman. Mm. Uh, there you go. That's okay. He's furious that Mordecai, lowly Mordecai, who stands at the gate, is not allowed to enter into the king's palace. Does not bow down to him, the Jew, the Israelite, the foreigner. He is furious, so much so that it boils over him to not just kill Mordecai but all Jews. So he comes up with this plan, and he tells the king the king is is pretty much takes a hands off approach. Probably thinking about his next party. And he signs off on Haman's plan to destroy God's people on a single day. And Haman gives these cash payments to the king to annihilate God's people. Mordecai hears of what's going to happen. He sees the edict that has been put forth that on this certain day... um, People are allowed to kill Jews without any recompense and take all their goods and all, all that they have. And so God's people are going to be destroyed. And Mordecai gets word to Esther. And this is her response in chapter 4, verse 11. All the king's servants and, and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes To the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? No one is allowed into the inner room of the king in their court of the king unless he is invited and if they go in without an invitation it means that they are to die unless the golden scepter comes upon him i mean you think about the biblical pictures here right like the the inner room where the presence of god dwells and 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 jesus goes into that inner room and he he advocates for us right and and God says this is whom I am pleased and 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 he gives life I mean all these pictures are coming to life here in the book of Esther and she says if I go in it means probably certain death he hasn't called me for 30 days He killed the last or he 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 let go of the last queen. What what's going to happen to me? And Mordecai responds to her in verse 14 For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther goes and tells Mordecai to begin to pray. She says, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she puts her life on the line, enters the king's court. And the king holds the golden scepter out. He spares her and asks her what she wants. So she asks the king and Haman to a feast she's pretty smart right you can't can't really talk to this guy I have to hear unless he's buttered up right right and so she has this big feast so he invites this meal and then and then at the meal she says and let's do it again I, I he's really not ready yet she, she she understands this so let's do another meal the next day and she'll tell them about this plot to kill God's people and Haman's wickedness. But while Haman, even though he's excited, he has he's been a guest with the king and the queen, he sees Mordecai at the gate again. And Mordecai obviously doesn't bow down to him. And he is angry. Even though he has a plan to kill the Jews, He's like, I've got a special plan for this Mordecai. You see, Haman is a descendant of King Agag, an Amalekite, whom Saul, the king of God's people, actually lost his kingdom over because he was being disobedient to the Lord instead of being fully destroying the Amalekite people. And he doesn't obey God, and Haman is a descendant of that. Mordecai knows the history, refuses to bow his knee to the enemy of God and his people, and I'm sure Haman does as well. So Haman comes home and he's distraught, and his wife and his friends say in chapter 5, verse 14. Then his wife's arrest and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. <laughs> so not only did Haman make these gallows, they're 50 feet high, 50 cubits high, excuse me, taller than that. Then he has, he, he says, tomorrow I'm going to tell the king that I'm going to hang this Haman on this thing. So as he's about to enter in to the king's court, that's where we pick up in chapter 6, that's where we are. This morning, let's, let's read it together. So if you'll stand in honor of reading God's word. We're there this morning. That was the longest introduction of all time. But you kind of have to have the backstory to get to the story of Mordecai and Haman. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written. How Mordecai had told about Bigthana Be- and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse you have said and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gates. Let nothing that you have mentioned, let out, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. There you go. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led them through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman Haman hurried to his house mourning And with his head covered, and Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Mm. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you bring us totally undeserving of entering into your kingdom, being called sons and daughters of the king and elevate us to a place of honor, to be with you forever. Lord, your kingdom is, is more than we can ask or imagine. we are just so grateful and thankful that you see us and you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The unexpected reversal. This is actually how the kingdom of God works. Jesus actually talks about this Many times. He gives many examples of this. I'm going to give you a few in the Gospel of Luke in just one, two, or three chapter section. In chapter 14 of Luke, there, there is a stretch of examples that are exquisite to understanding that the kingdom of God is not about the greatest, the most powerful On this earth. In chapter 14, Jesus talks about a parable, about a wedding feast in which he instructs people that are invited to take the lowest seat. So that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher to a a higher seat. And in Luke 14, 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is how the kingdom of God works. Then he tells a parable about a banquet in which he invited many, many of the rich, many of their friends, many of those who we would think would come into the banquet, but they all had excuses one said, I, I bought a field. Another said, I have oxen. I have to examine these oxen. One said, I got, I got married. And the servant said, no one's willing to come. So he says, go into the streets, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And he says, the people who are originally invited, they cannot enter the banquet. It's an unexpected reversal. Who enters into the kingdom Of God. But that's just the beginning. He says in verse 27 Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's when then he transitions to the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. An unexpected reversal. And then the story of the prodigal son who returns. Two, this unexpected love from the father where the son who has been faithful is not the one who gets the party. The unexpected reversal in the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 16, this is the ultimate story of the unexpected reversal in the kingdom of God is the rich man and Lazarus in which the poor... Man, Lazarus, the beggar, sits outside of the rich man's gate, interestingly enough here. And Jesus talks about all he longed for was the crumbs from the rich man's table, the leftovers, the dumpster diver. And now in heaven... After they both die, Lazarus is in paradise. And the rich man who had everything on earth is begging Lazarus for one drop of water in eternal torment. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate like the kingdom of this world. And in this story, the kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdom of this world. You see, the story of Mordecai is no different. What you have here on this earth will be completely flipped in God's kingdom. It is the humble, the gentle, the lowly, Whom God will exalt. Mordecai, you see, is the guy who sits at the gate. Haman is the guy sitting next to the throne in the king's court. Yet God sees everything. God sees what we do, and the roles are reversed. The humble are exalted. And the prideful are made low. It's best seen where? In God himself. The cross of Christ. Where the suffering humble servant dies. And yet God raises him to sit at the right hand of the Father and through his humility and his obedience to God, he conquers sin and death, crushing the head of the serpent who thinks that he is one. Amen? This is the story of Mordecai and Haman. Let's look at the verses here, 1 through 3. On that night, the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles. And they were read before the king and it was found written how Mordecai had told bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor distinction has bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. You know, it's interesting that it would be the night that Mordecai was to be hanged. It would be the very time in which Haman was was going to ask the king to hang Mordecai that the king was reminded of who Mordecai was. Mm. This is our first point this morning. God's plans will succeed. We do not want to be those that are against the hand of God. Let me tell you. God not only orchestrates Esther to be queen, the great reversal of the orphan to now queen of Persia, now he will use this wicked king who really just cares about himself to honor God's man, Mordecai. Mm. You see, in the storyline of the scripture, God created us to dwell with him forever. We messed up, disobeyed him, we were kicked out of the garden, and now he is unfolding his plan to redeem that which is broken, to bring back to order that which is chaos. He is unfolding his plan to crush the head of the serpent. In this story, the seed of the serpent is meant to be Haman who God will use Esther to crush him, right? As he tries to take out God's people. It will ultimately be Christ who will be the one to conquer sin and death. But Haman, like many who have been before him and after him, tried to take out God's plan of salvation, of taking out his people but God's silent hand is at work, amen? Pharaoh tried to take out God's people. Look what happened to him. Herod tried to take out the savior who was born in Bethlehem. Didn't happen so well like him. Even after Hitler, we see trying to take out God's people, but God has a plan. His silent hand is at work, And the king can't sleep. God has the king not able to sleep. So read me a book. He says, read me a bedtime story. And he hears about Mordecai saving the king from harm on the day that he was to be hanged. There's so many times in my life that I don't recognize God's hand at work. Even in trials or tribulations or what seems to be chaos in my own life, and the life of our church, God's hand is at work. But I can't see it sometimes, right? I don't know that Mordecai saw that God was going to save him on that day. But he sure trusted that God was going to save his people, did he not? God is a God of salvation through judgment. It is the God who saves his people, who humble themselves and submit their lives to him. Those are the ones that enter into the kingdom of God. You see, God sees and knows what deeds are done under the sun, and he will judge them. Now, I'm going back to Ecclesiastes last week. I'm not going to preach that, but it was there. So what happens here? Verse 4, and the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman's there, standing in the court. Of course Haman's there. Of course it's the night before. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to him, self, whom would the king like to the honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn. Let the horse, the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse. He dressed Mordecai, led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Our God delights in us, does he not? This is point number two. God lavishes unexpected blessings upon his people. God lavishes unexpected blessings His people. Not only the cross of Christ, the blessing of eternal life and dwelling with him. You see, Haman thinks that he is the one that is going to be blessed. But it's Mordecai, the guy at the gate who is blessed. And actually, Haman is the one blessing him. You know, as think about this as Haman is entering into the palace, he's thinking about how he's going to phrase his structure, his wording to the king, in order for this thing to go through, just as it went through before. As he he worded it perfectly, so that the king wouldn't suspect suspect him killing all these Jews. He he lavished him with money. How much money is he going to give the king this time to kill off Mordecai? He's thinking about his wording and then. The king is like, no, I'm, I'm going to bless Mordecai. You know, I almost think we, we get to see behind the curtain in this story more than other stories. To see how God works in his kingdom. He sees the acts of Mordecai and he brings His simply forgotten act of kindness, of submission towards the king and brings it up as a shining light. You see, the kingdom of God is upside down. He exalts those who humble themselves and humbles those who exalt themselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of those who will receive the blessings of God. Listen to those who receive God's blessings. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That makes sense in this story. Blessed are those who mourn. In this story, actually, Mordecai wears uh, ashes and sackcloth in his mourning because he's mourning over the fact that his people are going to be destroyed. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is how the kingdom of heaven operates. The people of God trust in their God, and they do things that the world does not like. They go against the culture, against the flow, against what is seemingly politically correct, why? Because of the word of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, those guys, you remember them? Going on about the same time here, a little bit before this. But this is the people of God throughout the history of the world. Then you have the apostles who were persecuted and killed for their faith, their testimony that Jesus has risen from the dead. Remember the, the apostle Paul, how hated he was. They killed him, they stoned him, and, and he walks out of there, and he goes back into the city that he was just stoned. They thought he was dead, they left him alone. He gets up, he goes out of the city, and then he goes back to the city. That's the people of God. The people of God who are blessed are those who stand upon his word, who submit their life, who in humble submission submit their life to the king. Why? Because the king will judge. Christ is the king who will judge in the end days. Amen? Who are the blessed? And enter the kingdom of God? those who are unexpected, the humble, those who have the heart of Christ, those who look at God as their King, not a man, but God. And God says to them, well done, good and faithful, what? Servants. You see, we spend most of our life trying to appease man. Yet, our heart's desire ought to be to live our life to the glory of God. Matthew sixteen twenty six says this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay Each person according to what he has done. You see, are we living in the kingdom of God? Are we living in the kingdom of the world? It's very important that we understand God lavishes his, his unexpected blessings upon kingdom of God type people. Verse 12, we're almost done here. So Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Suresh and his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Suresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And what happens next? Esther reveals Haman's wicked plot to kill her and the people of Jews. And Haman is then hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. And in the end, of instead of God's people being destroyed, On that day God's people destroyed their enemies if you read the book of Revelation this is what's happening right (laughs) you have these martyrs who are praying up to the Lord and God is holding back his wrath until he brings it upon the earth the earth is destroyed and those who are who are in the kingdom of God now enjoy God forevermore. That's the end of the story, but we see the story unfolding here in Esther. God's plan of his salvation actually comes through judgment of his enemies. This is our third point this morning. God's judgment comes upon his enemies. This is often uh, misunderstood in Christian realms and in biblical teaching of how can God be a God who judges? How can he be a God who judges enemies of God? How can he be a God who judges wrong? Well, here is the the paradox. God must ju- judge sin. He must punish sinners. He must judge unrighteousness. He must do that which is just. Because he is a good and loving God. And therefore, it's so unexpected that he would pour out his wrath of judgment upon Jesus for sinners. Justifying the judgment deserved for them by the righteous one. And that is how he intends to crush the head of the serpent and that is how he intends to save his creation. And that is how the kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen, works. Throughout the biblical narrative, the seed of the serpent is battling God's people. Yet it is not through weapons of war or might or cunning that God's people overcome. It's through the humility and sacrificial love that is shown through Christ, that is shown through God's people, that God's people overcome the enemies of God. And this is displayed in God's church today. And this is what Jesus says in the final judgment, Matthew 25, 31. And this sums up what we have been talking about. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. There is a king, and he will sit on his glorious throne. It's called the kingdom of God. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right side, but the goats on his left side. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what he's doing here with Mordecai. The blessings of God coming upon his people. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he tells us who these people are. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Church, we need to be kingdom people. We need to see people as God sees them. Verse 41, then he will say to those on the left depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. For as I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not to it, do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God is the judge. Christ will judge our deeds He sees his people and one day every deed under the sun will be judged. Therefore fear God and keep his commands because God sees you and he knows you. Some of us in this room can identify ourselves with Haman. Climbing the ladder of success in this world looking for man's approval in this world. Maybe we've built up our Instagram followers in this world, or in an altar world, I'm not sure what world it is in, or our job title, our financial status in this world. We've been building and building and building and building And after hearing this story and after hearing about the kingdom of God, our, our heart is rocked. And wondering, man, do I need to humble myself in repentance? See, my life looks like nothing like Jesus on this earth. My priorities are far from where God wants me to be. And today, God in his word Softening our hearts, reaching into the deep recesses of our hearts, wants us to change our minds. It's called repentance. To thinking that God's ways are better than our ways, His kingdom is far more important in our world than this kingdom. And He wants you to walk humbly with your God in obedience to His word. Some of you, maybe you can identify with Mordecai. Raising your kids, trying to do your best, feeling as if nobody knows your name. Maybe you do things for the Lord and for his kingdom all the time, not getting any recognition. Nobody remembers you. Trusting the Lord each day, trying to be faithful. And you're reminded God knows you and he sees you where you are. You're not forgotten in the kingdom of God. You have hope as you continue to walk by faith, knowing the same God whose invisible hand is at work in the days of Esther is now at work today. Church, let us be people who think differently about this world. Let us value the things that God values and let us see people as God sees them because God's hand is at work all around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth that your silent hand is at work in our lives. Father, we know that um, it is hard to hear sometimes that we have been going down the wrong road, that our life looks more like Haman than it does Mordecai. And Father, we pray that we would come to you with repentant hearts, godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. I'm including myself, Lord, this morning. And I pray that our church would be a kingdom church. I pray that our church would be people who are kingdom-minded. That no longer look to building their 401k. But look to the things that you look at, that you care about. As we look to people of all the people that we see around us, in our neighborhoods, in our language learning fellowship, our homeless people. Lord, help us to see people as you see them. Lead us as you, Father, came down from heaven to earth and you saw people, you met their needs where they are. Father, help us to be the hands and feet of Christ. And Father, we know that our reward is not in this earth. Our reward is in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to be reminded, Father, that 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 we not lose heart and hope for what you have planned for us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.